just a few minutes while we have a lesson that I hope we can find was from God's Word and that we'll be able to learn something from and profit from. The idea that I want to talk about this morning is what great thing can I do for God? If we look back through history, we can see that there's always seems like been people that wanted to do something special for God, that if they could perform some monumental task and do it for God, it's working. that that would do something special for them, maybe get them a special place in heaven, or maybe just if they could do some special thing, extraordinary thing, that it would get them to heaven. And other people wanted to do it just because they had good intentions and, and good notions, I believe. One of the first people that I thought of when I thought of somebody that wanted to do something great for God had to do with David. In Second Samuel, chap- Samuel chapter 7, we can see that David had the idea that he wanted to build a temple for God. He was looking around and he realized he was king and he lived in a nice palace. He talked about how he had walls and ceilings over his head, but yet the Ark of the Covenant was still living in a tent. And he just didn't seem to him in his mind and his way of thinking didn't seem like that was a fair thing, that if he was living in a nice palace that God's Ark ought to be living in a nice place too. And so he wanted to build a temple for God. And we see that he went and talked to Nathan the prophet And Nathan thought it was a good idea, too. So the two of them together thought, well, that would be a good thing. We can do this great thing for God. But we see that God told David that that's not what I want you to do. I didn't ask you to do this. So David didn't get to build the temple. His son Solomon did. Then as Jeffrey read a few minutes ago, we read about the rich young ruler. And uh, there was a prevalent idea in in Jesus' time that people had that there was some big commandment or some special thing they could do just to make sure they was going to get to heaven. And I think this rich young ruler had good intentions. I don't think he uh, had any ulterior motives in it. But he came to Jesus and basically was asking, what's the big thing I need to do? What can I do special in order to be pleasing to God? Well, he got the answer that he got and didn't particularly like it because that wasn't what he wanted to do. It wasn't what was in his mind that would have been a great thing for God. And then we can see that in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 28 that one of the scribes came to Jesus and asked him, which is the great commandment? Like they had the idea that if I could just get this one thing done, then I'll be right with God and everything will be okay. And we see what Jesus answered him. And then we, as we look on further down in history and we think about it, we can see that even probably a 1,000 or 1,200 years later roughly, I don't remember the exact date, but we see that the British decided they had to have the Crusades, that they had to send people into the Holy Land as they referred to it, because the Muslims, I believe it was, was occupying Jerusalem at the time, and they needed to liberate, liberate the Holy Lands from the infidels. And the king at that time, he had in his mind, I've got to do this great thing for God. You know, something impressive, something outstanding. I've got to do something great in service to God. But as we see, and we think about doing great things for God, I think if we're going to think we're going to do something great for God, what we need to do is look at some of the great men in the Bible and see what they did, and see what, how, what aspects of their life we can imitate in ours. And the first one I wanted to think about this morning was Abraham. As we read about Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, 1, it says that God told him to leave his country and go to a land that he would show him. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verses 8 through 10, it talks about Abraham and talks about him, him being a man of great faith because God asked him to do that, told him to do that, and he proceeded to go do it. And then in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19, and also in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 2, we see how God told Abraham, I want you to take Isaac, your son, the son who I told you the promises is going to be coming through, and I want, to take, want you to take him over to Mount Moriah to a place I'm going to show you, 
and I want you to offer him as a burnt offering, as a sacrifice. He basically wants, told him, I want you to take Isaac and I want you to kill him as a sacrifice. And we read that it says Abraham got up early the next morning. Apparently this message come to him, I suppose, in a dream at night or somehow or another, but he understood it to be a message from God. It says he got up early the next morning and got all the preparations made and took off to go do just exactly what God had told him to do. Well, as I think about Abraham and these things like this, I think about it, well, God didn't call me to leave my country. He hadn't told me I needed to leave Tennessee and go somewhere that he would show me later. He hasn't asked me to take my children out and sacrifice them as an offering. And so what, what is it about Abraham that I can emulate in, in my life that would maybe be something I could do for God? Well, when I think about that, I believe one of the reasons God wanted Abraham to leave his country, because as we study about it, Abraham's relatives in that country were idolatrous. We see when uh, Jacob goes back to, to get a wife for himself, and he takes his wife back to the land of Canaan with him, that his wife Rachel stole uh, Laban's household idols. So we know that his relatives were an idolatrous people. And so when I think about what can I do to God, great thing can I do for God, it might be that I need to give up possibly my family or my friends because they're going to be a bad influence on me. Abraham was asked to leave his country and his family and friends, I believe, because they would have been a bad influence on him. And that might be something we need to do for also. Sometimes our family and friends are a bad influence on us and we have to let them go. I know of people who's had family members. These people were trying to be, live a Christian life, and their family members, they wanted to go visit with them on holidays like Christmas and Thanksgiving and stuff. And I know one person asked those family members because they like to drink a lot, and they said, well, you just give it up until after we leave on Christmas. Well, that made them mad, and they didn't want to do it, so eventually they quit going to hang out with those family members on holidays because they were a bad influence on them. They were a bad influence on their children. So just like Abraham had to give up some of his family, they chose to give up theirs. They let them go so they could be of better service to God. Sometimes it might be that in a figurative sense, like Abraham was told to offer Isaac, and in Hebrews it says he did it. In Abraham's mind, it was a done deal. He had the knife and was drawn back ready to kill him when God stopped him. It might be that in a figurative sense, we might have to sacrifice our children. Maybe our children has fallen away, they've been unfaithful, and we have to let them go. Maybe the church has to withdraw from them, and we have to withdraw ourselves maybe from our children, in a sense, sacrificing them, sacrificing our relationship to them in order to be of better service to God, and ultimately, hopefully, to be able to bring our children back to a right relationship with God. In a way, for us to have to give up our relationship with our children, it would be a lot like killing them. It would be a lot that way. That's what a sacrifice was. It's giving up something that's very valuable to you, for God, And that's what when God had the Israelites and various people throughout history make sacrifices, David talked about in a sacrifice he was going to make. Somebody was going to give him the bulls and the goats and all the stuff necessary for the sacrifice. And he said, no, I won't take it from you. I'll buy it from you because I'm not sacrificing to God something that didn't cost me anything. So quite often our relationship with our family, whether it's our parents, our grandparents, or even our children, is something we might have to be given up in order to be a better service to God, in order to please God, and then ultimately, hopefully, to help those relatives learn to be faithful to God also. So I think that's something we can learn from Abraham. What great thing did he do? He gave up his family for God, and we can possibly have to do that same thing ourselves. And then I thought about Moses. As we look at Moses, we can read about him. And in Hebrews 11, chapter 24 through, or chapter, verses 24 through 27, it talks about Moses and what a man of faith he was. It says he chose not to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He gave up this position of power he had. He didn't want to be an Egyptian prince anymore. 
We see that Moses was a God's leader over the Israelites. God appointed him to be in charge of his people and lead them out of Egypt. He led the people out of slavery in Egypt to the promised land. And we also see that Moses received and gave the law. God gave him the law of Moses on the mountain, and he brought it down and gave it to the people. Well, as we think about it, I'm not an Egyptian prince, and I'm not ever going to be, so I don't have to give up like that. I'm not uh, related to any nobility in the world. Ain't nobody in my ancestry ever been a king or a prince or anything like that, so that's not something I've got to give up. I'm not a leader over the Israelites and uh, not being of Jewish descent. If even if I went over to Jerusalem today, I couldn't be one of their leaders. Uh, I don't have a people that's enslaved in order to lead them out of slavery into a promised land. And I didn't receive the law from God in order to give it to the people like Moses done. So when I think about that, what can I do that Moses did? What can I do that made him a great man of God? When we think about it, Moses gave up. It says in Hebrews 11, verse 25, the temporary pleasures of sin. Uh, when we think about that, sin is typically a pleasurable thing. If it wasn't something that was good or seemed good to us or seemed fun to us or brought us some kind of pleasure or had some appeal to it, we wouldn't be tempted to do it. When the Bible talks about Jesus was tempted in all points just like we are, there was something that was presented to Jesus in every aspect of life just like we are, these things were a temptation to him, the Bible says, because they had to have some meaning to him or something that would have been pleasant. But Jesus, just like Moses, gave them up. So we can follow Moses' example in that. And in some respect, when we think about Moses leading the people from slavery into freedom in the promised land, we can do that same thing. Because the Bible refers to people that are caught up in sin as being slaves to sin. So we can lead people from the slavery that they're bondage in sin and to freedom in Jesus Christ. We can teach people about God. We can help them become citizens in God's kingdom where they can be a free people instead of slaves to sin. So when we think about Moses and the great things he did, some of the what seems to be superficially, or in one way of looking at things that he did about leading the people and all that, we can do those same things. We can help people overcome sin. We can help people understand about giving up the pleasures of sin. We can help them come into God's kingdom and, to, to, and become a free people. Then I thought about Joshua. In Exodus chapter 24, verse 13, it talks about one of the things that Joshua did that made him a great man. He was Moses' assistant. You know, you'd have to think, if we were there at that time, that'd been a big honor to be Moses' right-hand man. You know, here's Moses. He's the leader of the people of God. God gives him revelation, speaks to him face-to-face. And to be Moses' assistant would have had to been a big deal. And then in Numbers chapter 27, verses 18 through 21, we see where God tells Moses, says, I want you to start transferring your authority as leader of the people over to Joshua. So Joshua became the leader of the nation of Israel. He was the number one man there. And then as we see what Joshua did as he goes throughout the the Old Testament, we see that Joshua led the people of God. Moses led them to the promised land. His power was transferred to Joshua, and Joshua led them into the promised land, and they conquered the enemies of God there. And that had to have been an awesome thing as we studied Wednesday night. That took them about five years to get the major portion of that done, and they just had some minor cleanup, as Greg phrased it, to do after that. And Joshua was in charge of that. And Joshua was such a good leader that it said not only were the people of Israel faithful to God while he lived, but while the people that were the elders of the people that overlived Joshua, that served concurrently with him and lived past him, that the Israelites stayed faithful past that. So we see Joshua was a very great leader of the people of Israel, and he accomplished a lot in his service to God. But then I think about it, I won't never be Moses' assistant. Moses has been dead for, what, 3,000 years or so or more. I can't do that. 
I'm not going to be a leader of the people of Israel, and I can't lead the people of Israel into the promised land to conquer a bunch of nations. So then I think, well, what can I do that Joshua did in order to be considered maybe hopefully a great man of God, a great person for God? Well, as I think about Joshua being Moses' assistant, we can be assistants too. I might not be the regular preacher here, but I can do things to help Greg get his job done. Some of us, we're not ever going to be qualified to be elders for one reason or another and leaders of God's people that way, but we can do things to help the elders to make their job easier. We can do things when we think about it to assist others when they're leading people to God. It might be some of us here aren't going to be great Bible teachers, but we can help bring other people to teachers. We can assist them in that way. Or we can, as it's been announced several times lately, there's an opening, maybe still be that way for an upcoming quarter, for a teacher and a teacher's assistant in one of the classes. I might not can be the teacher to that class, but I could help the teacher. I could go in there and do what is necessary to help that teacher accomplish her job. Just like Joshua assisted Moses in accomplishing his job, we can look around and find ways to help other people that are teachers or leaders of the congregation in doing their job and make their work easier. We can take part of the burden off of them. And when we think about that, as Joshua led the people into the promised land, and, and we can do things to lead and assist in leading people to Christ. We can teach people. We can bring people to teachers. We can do just like Joshua did and lead, led the people into the promised land. We can do our part in teaching and leading people to Jesus. We can be the, a leader also. And when we think about Joshua and conquering the enemies of God, we can learn and study the Bible enough that we can refute false teachers. And in doing that, in effect, we are conquering the enemies of God. We're doing our part to overcome Satan and conquer the enemies of God. So we can follow Joshua's example in being a great leader and being a great person for God. And then another person that I thought about was Elijah. We know that Elijah was a prophet of God. We read in 1 Kings chapter 18 how Joshua in a confrontation with the prophets of Baal that he killed, I believe it was 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And we can, as we read about Joshua, we can see that Joshua was willing to preach and do what God told him to do to deliver that message, even when Jezebel had told him, I'll have you dead before tomorrow. When he knew that there's a good chance that it could cost him his life, he was willing to preach. And we can do that same thing. But we're not going to be prophets of God. God's not going to give us any special revelation. He's not going to come to me in a dream tonight and tell me I've something I've got to do. And I'm not going to go somewhere and kill 450 prophets of Baal or 450 or any number of false teachers because it wouldn't be right for us to do that. We know that's not going to happen. And at least presently in this country, there's not nobody going to kill me for getting up and preaching about Jesus today. There's not nobody going to do that. So I'm not in any great fear that talking about God and trying to be faithful and serve him is going to cost me my life. So if I can't do all that, what can I do that Elijah did to be a great man of God? We can see that Elijah was willing to preach and teach and speak when it wasn't popular. And quite often in our world today, it's not popular to preach the truth about Jesus. We can see that, in effect, we can symbolically kill false prophets. When we've studied and learned enough about the Bible that we can understand the the Word and preach it accurately, and we can refute false teachers when, in effect, we've killed their message. When we can show other people that this person out here is preaching and teaching something that's clearly not in line with what the Bible says, we've killed a false teacher, so to speak. So we can be like Elijah. We can preach and teach when it's not popular, and we can do away with false prophets by doing what Second Timothy 2, verse 15 says, and study to show ourselves approved to God, a workman that doesn't have to be ashamed. We don't have to be ashamed when people's talking about the Bible or talking, speaking something we know is false 
if we've studied enough that we can refute them. But if we haven't done that amount of study and we're not able to talk to them about it accurately and present the Word to them, then we're going to be that person that's ashamed. So the Bible teaches us that we can be like Elijah. We can preach when it's not popular, and we can do away with false prophets. Then I thought about the Apostle Paul. As we read about Paul, we can see he was an apostle. He was a missionary. He wrote the majority of the New Testament, and he was able to perform miracles. Well, I'm not going to be apostle. I don't fit those qualifications. I don't live in the right time frame in the world to do that. I'm not very likely to go to a foreign country and preach the word. I don't feel a, a lot of people like to use the word calling, I guess you could use for that, but I don't, that's not something I have a great desire to do. I'm not going to be able to write any of the New Testament because I'm not an inspired person from God, and I'm not going to be able to perform any miracles. So when I, I think about it, well, what can I do that the Apostle Paul did? He was a great man of God. What can I do? Well, while I can't do those things that he did, I can do what he did. Paul gave up a position of prominence in the Jewish uh, system of religion and in the Jewish government in order to serve God. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it says, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you, talking about material things. Paul did that. He sought Jesus and serving Jesus first, and we can do that same thing. And it might be that we might someday have some position or find ourselves in a position of prominence or something, but we can find that that's interfering with our worship of God. We might have to give that up. It might be that we might have a job someday that it's not necessarily a morally wrong thing, but it's something that's interfering with our service to God. We might have to give that up. It might be that the job we have or the position we have is morally wrong. We can't continue in that. We see that when Paul learned the truth, he changed willingly and without hesitation. If I'm practicing something that's wrong and, and somebody points out to me the truth, I need to be like Paul and change willingly and without hesitation. People shouldn't have to drag me kicking and screaming to repentance. I should be willing, when I find out the truth, study it and see it that that's accurate, I should be willing to do it. So if I can do those things, then I can be just like the Apostle Paul. I can be a great person for God too. I can do something. And then the ultimate example that we might think of has to do with Jesus. And Jesus, we no doubt cannot argue that he was not a great man of God and he didn't do great things for God. When I look at Jesus, I can see that he was the Son of God, that he was involved in creation, that he lived a sinless life, and he was able to sacrifice himself and was willing to do that for our sins. Well, I'm not never going to be the Son of God like Jesus was. I wasn't around when creation was. I definitely am not going to be involved in it, didn't have anything to do with it. I've not lived a sinless life. I freely confess that at this point, that so I, therefore I could never be a sacrifice for my sins or anybody else's. So when I think of that, what can I do that Jesus did to be a great person for God? What, what work can I do for God? Well, as we talked some about this morning in the Bible class, uh, Jesus gave up what he wanted for what God wanted. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, Jesus says, Not my will, he's talking to the Father, not my will, but yours. Jesus didn't want to go to the cross and die. And I don't blame him. I wouldn't want to either. Uh, that wasn't anything, any shape, form, or fashion that Jesus could say, this is going to be a grand day of recreation, I'm going to enjoy this. That wasn't some getting taken and betrayed by your friends, that would hurt your feelings bad enough, and then getting arrested and go through a false trial and accused and convicted of crimes you didn't do. None of us like to be accused of things we didn't do. We can remember as we as children and maybe somebody told on us for something, stand up to our parents and knowing we're fixing to be punished for something and trying to convince them, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, but get punished anyway. That's where Jesus was. He didn't do it, but he got punished anyway. None of us would like that. And then he was taken and beaten nearly to death with a scourge. 
I guarantee you that wasn't fun for him. It wasn't good for him. And then he was crucified on a cross and left to hang there until he died. And I know that wasn't fun. But it wasn't what he wanted. That's what he was asking God. Let this cup pass from me if it can. But the message he got was, no, you're going to have to do it. Jesus gave up what he wanted for what someone else wanted. That someone, the Scriptures teaching us, teaches us that Jesus was an equal, a co-equal with God. He's part of the Godhead. So it wasn't that God was necessarily of greater authority and could command it, but God asked him to do it. And he done it because he loved the Father and wanted to do what God wanted. So Jesus gave up what he wanted in order to do what God wanted. And also Jesus gave up what he wanted in order to provide for the needs of others. Being crucified wasn't something that Jesus needed. He didn't have any sins that needed fixed. But we did, and he done it for us. So we can be like Jesus in that we're willing to give up what we want to do in order to help provide for the needs of others. It may be that I want to go on some expensive vacation sometime, but then maybe somebody in the congregation falls on hard times, whatever it might be, and I'd be better off to give that money for them to help them through their difficult time than for me to take a vacation. I'd want to go on the vacation, but I can give up what I want in order to provide for the needs of others. It might be not be nothing that big. It might be just giving up some spare time, maybe to go mow somebody's yard when they need it or something like that. It might be that I give up my time in order to go teach somebody about Jesus because the ultimate need that we all have is to learn more about Christ and to learn about salvation so that we can properly comply with God's Word. We talked some about it in class this morning. Jesus submitted himself to the will of others. He submitted himself to the will of God. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, there's a, a bunch of passages in the New Testament where it talks about us submitting to each other. It talks about husbands submitting to wives, wives, uh, not husbands to wives, wives to husbands. It talks about children submitting to their parents. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, and it's talking about submission. It talks about all of us being willing to submit to each other. I shouldn't be so arrogant or overbearing or whatever you want to call it to think that I've got to have my way on things because my way might not probably isn't necessarily the right way. It might not be the best way. And even if it is the right way or maybe even the best way, it might be better for me to submit to the will of others in order to keep peace in the congregation. And we can all do that. So Jesus was willing to submit himself to the will of others. And we can do that same thing. And by doing that, we can learn to be like Jesus and be great people in the service of God. And then another one that I thought of had to do with Noah. And we think about Noah, and we know the story how God came to him and told him he wanted him to build an ark because he was going to destroy the world with a flood. And then Noah spent, it seems, from my understanding of it, about 120 years in the doing of that. I can't build an ark. I don't expect with all the equipment that I could get a hold of and command in my possession today that I could accomplish the building of that. Uh, it would just be too, for me, it would be too big a deal, I believe. But Noah was able to do it. But if I can't build an ark and do like Noah did, how can I be a great man for God in that respect? Well, in Genesis chapter 7, verse 5, it says, Noah did all that God commanded him. I can do that. I can learn to do that. I can follow Noah's example and do all that God commanded me to do. And ultimately, when we think about Noah, what did he do? It's not so much about the building the ark, but it was he prepared for judgment. God told him, I'm coming, in, coming to the world in judgment and I'm going to destroy the world with a flood. And Noah prepared himself for that judgment so that he would be in a right relationship with God at that time and so that he and his family could be saved from that flood. We can do that. We can read the Bible. We can study the Bible. We can follow all of God's commands just as Noah did and prepare ourselves for judgment. <clears throat> and when I think about it, as I was thinking further about all these people that we've just talked about, 
when I think about what did all these men really do, even including Jesus, well, the first thing that they done was they heard God's Word. And we can hear God's Word today. We've got the Bible before us. We can be taught by others through Bible classes, through listening to preaching. We can listen to tapes. There's all sorts of ways that we can go about hearing God's Word. We can read and study the Bible for ourselves and know what God's Word says. We can read and we can hear God's Word in that effect. So we can do what these men did. And then it talks about all these men here, how they believed God's Word. It wasn't that they just heard some information and said, yeah, that's neat, and went on with their lives and done what they wanted to, but they believed the message that God had given to them. And then it says that they obeyed God's Word. Every one of these that we just talked about, they heard the Word of God, they believed what that message was, and then they went about obeying God's Word. And we can do that same thing. We can hear, we can believe, and we can obey. If we're not doing what's right before God, we can follow the example of Jonah, another great man in the Bible we talked about recently in class, and we can repent of the error that we're in and straighten up our life and start believing and obeying God's Word. We can follow Paul's example and change our lives from however it is now, if we're not living right, to a life of service to God. And we can do it just like Paul did, immediately and without hesitation. It may be that there's someone here this morning who's not living right with God. Maybe you've never been a Christian. You can become one this morning. If you've heard the Word and you believe it and understand it, you can confess Jesus Christ, you can repent of your sins, you can be baptized in water for the forgiveness of those sins, and you can walk faithfully for the rest of your life and leave this building this morning as a Christian and a saved person. It may be that there's someone here who's, never, who's been a Christian but haven't, hasn't lived faithfully. You can fix that this morning before you leave this building. You do not have to leave this building lost. There's nothing in your life so severe that you can't confess your sins and make your life right with God this morning. And either way, won't you come as we stand and sing if we can help you.